All right. Hey, family. Good to see you guys. Well, may God's richest blessings be on each and every one of you. Grab your Bibles. Let's open them up to Genesis 46. Genesis 46 is where we are today. Uh, the story of Joseph is going to take a little bit of a, a turn. It's going to take a short pause, and it's going to focus on the destiny of his father now, Jacob. Uh, Jacob is the father, or will be the father, of the nation of Israel, which is why he's named Israel. And so these verses are going to flip-flop between the individual identity of Jacob and, and the Group, his group identity, the identity of the people of God. And the author has no problem going back and forth uh, between this. So just keep that in mind. Uh, Jacob is leaving his homeland, and he's headed to Egypt to meet up with his long-lost son, uh, Joseph. He's heard that he's alive. Now he's going to get to see him. And he camps in this spiritually significant town called Beersheba. And God has a little chat with him. It's been a long time since God's talked to him, and he's going to talk to him in this place called Beersheba. So with that in mind, please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Reading of Genesis 46, verses 1 through 7. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of night, and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And then he said, I am God, God of your father. Do not be afraid. Go to Egypt. For there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt. And I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, their little ones, their wives, and in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry them. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt. Jacob and all his offsprings with him, his sons and his sons of sons with him, his daughters and his daughters' sons, sons' daughters. He also and all his offspring he brought with them into Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, this is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for being here with us today. Uh, there is no one like you, God. There is no one that compares. You are absolutely without peer. And there's no one who has been as good to us as you have been. You have laid on it thick, your blessings. We need to hear from you today, God, much like Jacob did. We need to hear from you. We need you to reshape us, recreate us in your image and in your likeness. We ask that you do that by the power of your word through the Holy Spirit. And we ask you to do these things for us um, so that you would make your name famous. Amen. Amen. So in order for us to get into uh, this story, I thought we might try a little thought experiment. You ready? 
Imagine God telling you to pack up everything that belongs to you and leave America and go live in a foreign country the rest of your natural life. Now, further imagine that that foreign country that he was taking you to was a wealthy country also. Uh, they have great gourmet food and drinks, and they have great clothing. They have the best doctors, great educators, plentiful commerce opportunities, and blazing fasts like internet, okay? This is where God is about ready to tell you to go. This is not a developing country is what I'm saying. Are you picturing this? And now imagine that God said you could even bring your entire family with you. And their family, they could all come with you. Not bad, right? Not bad. But here's, here's the catch. Here's the rub. You had to live in a place for the rest of your life where you are forever in a strange land. It's not the place you grew up in. Where they worship strange gods, they have strange values, and though it is a good place to live you're just going to always fill out a place there. It's always going to feel like a jacket that's just a little bit too tight for you. You know what I mean? And that's where you're going to die. What do we do when following God means leaving what's familiar? Uh, would you be a little bit anxious? Would you be a little bit fearful to follow God? I would. Just being honest, I would. And so is Jacob. The text says that he is fearful because God has to tell him, do not fear, right? That's kind of what God is calling Jacob to do. Jacob is old. His health is failing. He's got more years in the rearview mirror than he does in the windshield. Do you know what I'm saying? And yet he begins this long journey to Egypt, and he decides to stop in the town of Beersheba. Beersheba is on the southernmost boundary marker of the promised land. It's been his home for decades. So, it's, so he's right there on kind of that boundary line, and he spends the night. Beersheba also is the place where his father Isaac stopped and worshiped God, and God made a promise to his father to do good to him. It's also a place where years and decades, hundreds of years before that, his grandfather Abraham was there and called upon the name of the Lord. In fact, he's the one who named that place Beersheba. So this is a very significant place. So picture this, guys. Jacob is standing on the literal edge of his home and on the edge of his life, getting ready to enter into a foreign world. It's not a place he's ever been before. And before he crosses over, he decides to stop and worship God. And not just God, he says the God of his fathers. That's a very unique phrase. God of his father. Why? For his generational goodness. That's what he's thinking about. Jacob is willing to obey God, but he's afraid. He's kind of afraid. It's here that God appears in the night to him and gives him a calling and some encouragement. That's what we're going to talk about today. How do we follow God when he calls his people to live as foreigners? 
How do we follow God when he calls his people to live as foreigners? Well, first we're going to look at the call of God, and they're going to look at the encouragement that he gives, the resources that he gives us. First of all, living as foreigners is how God's people will flourish. Living as foreigners is how God's people will flourish. Look at the text here in verse 3. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. For there, for there, I will make you into a great nation. That means expansive, huge in numbers. This is almost an exact repeat, word for word, of the promise that he made to his grandfather Abraham with just a little bit more information this time around on the promise. So check this out, Genesis 12, 1 and 2. This is the promise that God made to Abraham, his descendant, or his forefather. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Verse 2, and I will make of you a great nation. There's this one extra word, if you notice, in the promise that he made to Jacob. There. There. Where is there? In Egypt. God says, I will make you into a huge nation where? There, in Egypt. That's where I'm going to do this. That's where I'm going to keep this promise. So just, it's not a text, but just kind of imagine Jacob's anxiety upon hearing this, all right? I imagine him saying this, come again, God? <laughs> what? You're going to do what, where? You want your people to move into a foreign and pagan nation? A place where they worship false gods and they do ungodly things where, where their laws are not your laws? A place where we're going to be seen as forever different? And you want us to not just visit there but live there the rest of our life and grow? And that's like sprinkling grass seeds into a swamp. Nothing of God grows in Egypt. Nothing of God grows there. And there's where you want us to go grow. We'll lose our unique identity. We'll start getting cozy with the Egyptians. We'll shrink as a people and die. Do you understand why Jacob would be afraid? You think he'd be a little, why he's going to be a little timid about this? This is not a small thing God's asking him to do. Brothers and sisters, God wants, wants to... Uh, Make his people a great witness to him. God basically says to Jacob, no, no, the opposite's going to happen there. I am God. There is where you're going to actually multiply. There's where you're going to flourish among them as foreigners because that's where I want to make you into this massive people, this massive nation, this family that's always getting bigger. The family's always growing. And I'm calling you and the entire family of faith to live like foreigners the rest of, the, of your days. God wants to make his people a great witness, not in our comfortable and familiar homeland, but in a land that is not our home. He wants to do this in a place that always feels a little strange to us. 
This is a foundational part of our identity, brothers and sisters. We never outgrow this part of our identity. Whatever land we find ourselves in, we live there as foreigners. It's, it's our basic identity throughout the whole of Scripture, from Genesis to the maps, okay? Paul says that our citizenship is in heaven with Christ. When the Apostle Peter writes to all those local churches scattered in Asia, what does he call them? Elect exiles. I mean, it sounds as crazy to us as it did to Jacob that night. But living as foreigners is how God has chosen to make his people flourish and how he's going to make his name famous. This is a real relevant biblical category for us to be thinking in right now. As the people of God, we are never going to live in a land where things are completely comfortable for us, no matter who makes promises to us. There will not be a political party that is God's party. There will not be a candidate who is God's choice, who's going to make everything right for God's people and comfortable. There is only one who has that very distinguished honor of being our Messiah. We need to think in these categories, brothers and sisters. Have you noticed that during this election cycle that both parties are using messianic language? You need to notice that. Messianic language. I will save the soul of this nation. Save soul? That's religious language, guys. That's messianic language. Stand with me, trust me, and I will make life better for you. That's messianic language. We need to be aware of this. And we need to remember that our basic identity is one of foreigner. Family, we always carry two passports with us in our pockets. You know that? We always carry two passports with us. And that means we're just not going to completely fit into the categories of our society or any society that we find ourselves in. As weird as that sounds, that's actually how we multiply as the people of God. That's how God's family gets bigger. That's how we flourish and we make God's name famous. And so God has called us to live as foreigners. Now how can we possibly do this? Well, we can't do this in our own power. We, we can't do this with our own, own resources. We, we need his resources, and God gives us these resources in the forms of promises. And they're right here. One of them is this. God promises that his spirit will go with us. His spirit will go with us. Look at the text here, verse 4. It's an important verse. God says, I myself, as if to be emphatic, I myself, not like a representative, not a stand-in or a sub, I myself. So, so let's really listen to what comes after this. 
I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. There is a lot packed into this verse. We're just going to take it a piece at a time here. The Lord, he's saying this, that he's not like all the other gods of all the other nations. He's not a, like, he's not a localized god, is what he's saying. Uh, Jacob is, remember, he's standing on the borderline of Canaan, and he's like, he's like, I'm about ready to cross over. I'm about to do this with you. And God says, do not fear. Do not fear. I myself will go with you, yes, down into Egypt. Guys, God, God is saying, I'm not a territorial God. The other gods are territorial gods. I am not like them. I am God, and I'm not a territorial God. He is not owned by a, a particular country. God is not bound by geographical fences or borders. He's not bound by that. He's like, look, when you cross that borderline, I go over that with you because that doesn't keep me out. I'm not that kind of God. I go with you. His presence and his power are not diminished by his distance from some altar or a holy place. Why? Because the whole earth is God's domain. If you make it, you own it, right? <laughs> God can dwell with us in the middle of Egypt just as easily as he can dwell with us in the middle of the promised land. That's good news. See, here's why Jacob won't lose even one member of his huge family on that long, difficult journey. And here's why he, they won't lose their distinct identity while they live as foreigners in Egypt. God himself will go with them. God himself will go with them. He will give them the power to obey their calling. He will give them the resources they need to do his will. They don't need to conjure up those resources and power on their own. In fact, in fact, God is already in Egypt waiting for Jacob to show up. That's what this whole story has been about. He's already been there at work. That's how with his people God is. Are you seeing the picture here? Family, God has given us an impossible calling. He says, go live in the world, but be not of the world. Not totally assimilated, but neither totally isolated from the unbelievers in the world, but both of which are disastrous temptation that constantly threaten us as the people of God. So how do we walk this path that God has set before us? How do we walk this path faithfully and not fall into either of those ditches, which are always there? Here's how God promises he himself will go with us. So go. So go. We do not go it alone, and we do not use our own power. God's own spirit goes with us. We have this promise reiterated by our Lord in John 14 he says and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever 
That means wherever you go, wherever you travel, even the Spirit, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, yet you know him, and here's why, for he dwells with you and will be in you. How, how, how with Jacob was God's spirit? Well, he was with him in Beersheba. He was with him on the journey. We know that because the text says that everybody arrived, and he was already in Egypt waiting for him to show up. He was, with, he was behind him. He was beside him. He was before him. He was surrounded. That's how with Jacob God's spirit was. Well, how with us is God's spirit? He makes, he lives with us, and he even dwells inside of us. And he's not visiting. He's taken up residence. It says forever. He's with us forever. Isn't that good news? So what? So make use of these promises. These are God's promises. God made them. Use them. Use them to do his will. We call upon the Spirit's presence and the Spirit's power when we need it, which is all the time, by the way, parenthetically. We call upon the Spirit's presence. We call upon the Spirit's power when we need it. Why? Because we know those prayers will be answered always with a yes and amen, and I'm already answering it. We pray like this, maybe. Lord, I'm tempted to make this place in Kitsap County my home instead of making you my home. Uh, Lord, I've been viewing my work, my schooling, my parenting, my retirement like it is my Life, like it's my identity and who I am. Lord, would you please help me? Would you please help me? Or maybe we pray like this, Lord, I am tempted to isolate in my Christian subculture because it's a lot more comfortable as a foreigner. I'm afraid, I'm afraid that I'll lose my identity if I, be, if I befriend unbelievers around me. Grant me your power that you promise. Grant me your presence that you promise, Lord. Keep me faithful to the calling that you gave me to live as a foreigner here for as long as I have life. Not by my strength, but the strength of your spirit. Isn't it good news to know that we don't have to live like foreigners on our own? Hmm, that's so good. But that it gets even better than this. God provides a son who will bring us home. You know that God doesn't just make promises, but he gives us assurances. He gives us evidences to help us believe these promises because faith is a gift. God provides a son who will bring us home. Let's go back to that important verse, verse 4. God says, I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. I love that we have a God that talks in I wills and I shalls. <laughs> Not like there's a high percentage chance. <laughs> 
Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Jo Jacob's greatest fear, remember, if you've been following along this story, ja what's his greatest fear at this stage, his older stage in his life? What is it? Jacob's greatest fear is that he will spend the remaining, his remaining days weeping until he dies. This is going to bring down my gray hair to Sheol. Remember that? That's his greatest fear at this point in his life. He's afraid of a sorrowful death, a death in which everything that's important to him has been taken away from him. He can't build it back up because he's too old. He's about to die. That's his greatest fear. I'm sure no one can relate to that right now, right? And yet God has just promised, in the first half of verse 4, he has just promised that he will not die a sorrow, sorrowful death in Egypt. You come again, God? I mean, how's that going to happen? Because God has given Jacob a son that is going to care for him, not just in his life, but also in his death. His son will close his eyes. Not someone else, his son. And this is just not just any old son, right? This is this son that he loved with all his heart. His beloved son. This is the son that he thought was dead for years, but is now back from the dead, and oh my goodness, ruling all of Egypt. This is the son, this son that God sent ahead of him when he didn't even know it to Egypt to be his redeemer and save his father's life. That son, that's the son God's talking about. That son is going to be, get this, by his bedside when he dies, when he breathes his last breath, guaranteeing that he will get back home. Can you, can you get the picture here? The last person that Jacob will look at before he dies is his special son, his redeemer in his life and in death. Jo Joseph is the visible, physical evidence, proof that God will keep all of his promises that he's promised to Jacob. Jacob will see the son that God has provided and he will die in peace and not sorrow no matter where he is. That's what God's basically telling them in that little phrase. So, go live the rest of your life in Egypt. Jacob, I got you. I got you. Your greatest fear, you don't have to fear. Brothers and sisters, following the call of God to live like foreigners often feels like a call to die, does it not? Feels like God's calling us to die sometimes, to give up, to leave things, stuff we care about. It's almost like He's calling us to carry a cross sometimes, right? This is not the world I grew up in, we say to ourselves. And there's just something so strange here. Feels foreign. You know, raising our children in Egypt, it can make us fearful. Will they be lost to all the pressures that are around them? We wonder. But right here, God says this God has promised to go with us, and He has promised to supply His power. 
But here's the question. How do we know that God will keep his promise? But how do we know he'll keep? I feel like I asked this question a lot in front of you. <laughs> it's a big deal to me, okay? How do we know? I heard what he promised, but how do I know he will keep his promise? See, we can't see promises, right? They're just words. They're words. You can't see words. Did I paint myself into a hole just now? How, how are we going to get out of this? You're probably thinking like this, though, right? i got to voice that. I do, too. How do we know that God's going to keep his promises? He's going to keep his word. Here's how we know he'll keep his word, his promises. God has provided a son to bring us home as well. That wasn't just for Jacob. That was for all those that are part of the family. God, praise God. He's provided a unique son that has gone into the world ahead of us and he's done all the work needed to redeem us because we were too frail and we were too fearful. And so he said, I'll go do all that work for you. Here's what this special son, Jesus, promises to all that look upon him. John 6, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all, nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him, that everyone who looks on the Son, what's that mean? It means you believe into him, should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Are you, am I threading the needle here? Are you guys getting this connection? This is the gospel in the Old Testament. Jesus is the physical, historical guarantee to all the Father's words. All the Father's promises to us. Since we're going to die in a foreign land, how do we know that we will get home to God? God has provided a son for us to look on. He's provided you and I a son for us to look on. Jesus is the word made flesh. He's the one that closes our eyes. He comforts us. He himself Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives, right? I'll look upon him with my own eyes and not another's. Unlike Joseph, this son gives eternal life, and he will raise us up on the last day just as he himself has been raised up to life. And unlike Joseph, Jesus is not ruling over one kingdom, big as it is. He's ruling over all the kingdoms of all the universe of all the ages. At the same time. See, living as a foreigner, let's be honest, it is tough. And it is uncomfortable to be sure. But we will not die a sorrowful death. Good news. You and I will not die a sorrowful death. We will miss out on some comforts. Yes. We will miss out on some conveniences, yes. But we will not miss out on the most comforting thing in all of life. You and I are not going to miss out on that. 
On our final day, Jesus will be by our side caring for us and making sure that we get home. You and I have not believed in vain if we have believed on this son. That's what God is saying to us crossway. The son will lose none of those that the father has given into his care. Because of Jesus, we will die in peace and not regret, in peace and not in sorrow. So what? So look upon Jesus and go live the rest of your life like a foreigner, church. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, King Jesus, we love you. We thank you for coming the infinite long way from heaven down into earth to prepare a place for us to live the life of obedience that we could never live and to die the death that we should have died and raised back to life so that we know that if we look upon you, if we believe and rest the weight of our life on you, that we will be raised up. We will lose nothing in the end, so we can lose things now. We will lose nothing. You've guaranteed it. Remind us that you're our home, and where we need to change, would you change the loves of our, heart, our hearts and reorder their loves? And we love you the most. There's no one who's done this for us. There's no one who's loved us like you. And we praise you. We worship you. We sing to you because you're worthy. Amen.